You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Romans chapter 7, we're going to look at the whole chapter today. No, we're not going to go verse by verse, we're going to go section by section, but I want to talk to you about what it means to really come to terms with who you really are. You've heard of people, right, saying, well, I'm going to go find myself. I need to, I want to be my authentic self. You know, people, it seems like when they start talking in those terms, thinking those terms, usually, it seems to me, usually what happens after that is not a very good thing. You know, they usually go off and do something crazy or something. You know, maybe they go bungee jumping or something. I'm not so sure how jumping off a mountain, you know, you're going to find yourself as you're plummeting down to the end of that. I Pretty much, I know how I'm going to react to that kind of, ah, why did I do this kind of thing? But our world struggles. And I think a lot of it is just people wake up one day and realizing that, well, this is not what I was banking on in life. This is not what I was expecting. I wanted something different. Where's the, you know, where's what I thought was just going to happen? I thought things were going to work out better than they are, and I, I don't feel comfortable with all of this. And people do strange things. You know, they, they quit their job. They Somehow they think, well, I'm just, I want to be my real self, and I, I, I'm just not able to be my real self with you, so I'm going to divorce you, and I'm going to go pursue somebody else. I'm going to go do something else, and we we're struggling trying to find who we are. And to be real honest with you, I think it's at the heart of much of the transgender, all of that, you know, move past all of the politics and all of the just the, the angst and the frustration with it all. People are struggling to be comfortable with who they are, to really know who they are, if you will, on the inside. So I want to talk to you this morning about coming to terms with the real you. And honestly, most of us are not going to like what we see when we're looking at the real us. You know, do you get very excited when you look at the mirror? Most of us go to, we look in the mirror like, oh, what is that? What is this? You know, we start all the negative things. When we start looking at the real us, it's not as much of a pretty picture as we might think. And we struggle with that. And so this is not going to be all discouraging. Actually, it's going to be, I'm trying to get us to the encouraging part, but Paul kind of peels some layers back here in chapter 7 to kind of help us wrestle with that. So read with me, if you will. Romans chapter 7. I'm going to read the first few verses just to get us rolling today. Paul says this. He says, he says Or do you know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law. We're catching, as I shared with you at the beginning of Romans, wow, I wish we could talk about the whole thing in one sitting. We can't. We're kind of breaking it up in pieces. But Paul has been talking about this new life and this change that after Jesus in our life and after we're saved, after we have a relationship with the God of heaven, He comes and He lives inside of us, we're dead to sin. Like our, There's been such a change that's happened in our life. The old has passed away and the new has come. And now he's kind of proving it again. He's kind of talking, uh, touching base on that, if you will. And he says... Don't you know, I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. When you die, you will no longer have to pay taxes. The law has no authority over it. If there's any blessing in that, that's great, you know. There's going to be some blessing. You don't have to deal with corrupt government anymore. You don't have to deal with all kinds of stuff, you know. The law's not binding once you die. And But he explains, he says, For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage, right? We lose a spouse, we're free to marry somebody else. Accordingly, 
In verse 3, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. She lives with somebody else, she's committing adultery. She's being unfaithful to her husband. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an, an adulteress. He's saying, here's the reality. We know this truth that we've died to sin, and so we are now alive to Jesus. We were previously under enslavement and, and, and under the control of sin and death that Dan talked about last week, but now Jesus frees us from that, and we have a, a new thing going on in our life. And this is what he's talking about in verse 4. He says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. We've died to sin and death and the law of sin so that we can be alive and we can belong wholesale completely to another, to Him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit to God. God saves us. The power of the resurrection in our life is to produce a fruitfulness in our life. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work and our members to bear fruit for death. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. First thing I want us to recognize, if you're really going to come to terms with the real you, is you have to come to terms with the life change that God brings in our life. You've got to come to terms with the, the before and the after picture. You know, we've been talking a lot about the before, and God is so consistent that He tells us the bad news, because if we don't accept the bad news, we're not ever going to be interested to hear the good news. Good news is not good news unless we understand the bad person. So Paul is telling us, he's like, look, you've got this new change in your life. After Jesus is in your life, after you've become a child of God and you are forgiven of your sins, you've surrendered yourself in faith to Jesus because He died on the cross for your sins and He rose again, you, have, you are under new management. You're now no longer under the control and under the absolute domination and tyranny of sin and death in your life. That has been broken. And you are now freed to live a life that is fruitfulness to God. You're freed to live a life not as you want to, but as you ought to, as you should. Before that, all that we could ever produce was fruitfulness that led ultimately to death. You know how frustrating that is in life? Could you imagine if your whole world depended on being successful at something and then always failing at that something? You know, that's, that's why I don't, I'm not a gardener. I think I've told you that before. I don't tend to grow stuff. I probably ought to check that a little bit because I was a part of planting like 80 trees and bushes yesterday. Sean, oh my goodness, that's a lot. We, play, we planted like lots of little things around. They were all like this, you know. It's crazy to think that's a legit tree, even though it's only a tiny little guy. But other than that, I don't grow plants. I don't garden. I don't do flowers. I don't do any of those things because I'm not good at it. It dies. What Paul is telling us is that before Jesus... Every single thing in our life was cursed before God to be a failure. It was a disaster. It was going to ultimately end up a shambles apart from God. Well, Sean, not everything before Jesus was a mess. Well, it was more of a mess than you realize. Yeah, there's some good in that, and that's the graciousness of God in this world that He oversees and superintends. But at the end of the day, it would only ultimately end up in our complete abject failure. But now, 
Now, with Jesus in our life, there's a fruitfulness to God that we can live a life differently. We can live a life of forgiveness and a life that we move past the shame and the guilt and a life that God in turn brings good things in our lives and through us. It's kind of what he talked about in Romans 6, that we are to consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Paul is saying the first thing you need to realize in order to live a life differently is just realize you've died to that. And he's stressing over and over and over again that there has been a break in our life. See, some of you this morning, if you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus, you're in the middle of that frustration and God is kind of doing something in your heart and and awakening you and trying to bring you to that point. And, And part of what you need to realize is that there is a definite before and after picture. There is a new life and a changed life that God brings through Jesus. So when you make that commitment to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, everything becomes new in your world. Doesn't mean you don't ever sin again. In fact, I'm going to talk about that. Paul explains a lot of that in this chapter. But it means that you are under new management and you can bring a life of fruitfulness. And our job at that point is, as Dan talked last week and in chapter 6, that our job is to present ourselves to God. You know, we now have a choice. We can present ourselves to sin or we can present ourselves to Jesus on an ongoing basis as a Christian. And the reason that we as Christians sin is because sometimes we get up in the morning and we're not offering ourselves to God. And if you're not offering yourself to God, you're, you're always offering yourself to somebody. It means you're offering yourself to yourself or to something else in the world, and that's when we go astray. The reason we struggle with sin is because in that moment, we've chosen to not present our bodies and our life to the God of heaven, to live for Him. In that moment... We've chosen something else. And so, but Paul says, make no mistake, there is a new way and a new life and a new spirit that lives inside of us. That ought to encourage us. It ought to give us hope in the middle of that, that no matter how much we've messed up, no matter how much we've failed, no matter how much we look back in our life and regret things that we've done and all of that, that Jesus changes all of that. And He gives us a new life. And He gives us a new hope, and He gives us a freedom, and He gives us a blessing in the middle of that. And that's the real us after Jesus. Now, there's some really good news in there that hang on to, because there's some bad news now in the middle of this. Look what he says next in verse 7. Paul says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? Should we say that somehow all these rules that God put out for us is bad? That that that's what makes us a bad person? Well, if God didn't put any rules out, then I don't break them, right? Wouldn't that be awesome when you're growing up? Hey, kids, we don't have any rules. Do whatever you want to do. So that way, you know, tell your friends, you know, like, our kids aren't bad. What do you mean they're not bad? Yeah, they never do anything wrong. What do you mean they don't do anything wrong? Yeah, we just decide not to have any rules. If you don't have any rules, it can't be bad, right? You're only bad if you have rules. That's kind of what he's dealing with. Like, well, that's stupid. You know, <laughs> Everybody's got to have some rules, you know. The law is not bad. It's not sin in verse 7. By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I wouldn't have realized where I was messed up. The sin just kind of spotlighted it and pointed it out and showed me what the problem was. He said, for if I would not have known what it is to covet, uh, or I would not have known what it is to covet, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. 
But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, that's, the, by the way, the Ten Commandment. Don't covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's maidservants and horses and all that kind of stuff. Don't do it. Don't desire that which is, doesn't belong to you. Amazing, because we have our whole life and industry. There's a whole thing built around this. It's called Amazon. It's incredible, you know. Don't, don't be looking out the window and desiring what everybody else has got. Don't be going on the latest fashions. If you're looking at getting married, don't look what everybody else has got so you can be like them. Don't look at what everybody ever kid, ever, all the other kids have got so you can be like them. Like Our whole world revolves around this. Paul, it's, it's significant that he picks this one of all the Ten Commandments. He says, that one sees the opportunity through the commandment and produced in me all kinds of covetousness. He's like, I didn't know it was a problem until I heard I wasn't supposed to do it. And when I heard I wasn't supposed to do it, oh my goodness, I'm doing it everywhere. He said, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. It's dormant. You don't realize it. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. He's like, I was living large. I thought, woo this is good. I'm great. If we had interviewed Paul, Paul, before you really knew about Jesus, you were a Pharisee. Yep, you were a religious person. Yep, I was so faithful. Were you a bad person? Are you crazy? Absolutely not. I was perfect. I was good. So what's the deal? Well, I read those Ten Commandments. And that last one, that last one got me. That Tenth Commandment, that, you know, the after the, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, don't take the Lord's name in vain, all of those things, don't honor your father and mother, don't kill, don't steal, don't do all this stuff. He's like, I got all of that, but that last one dealt with my heart. All the other ones are kind of just... Paul's like, I've never taken God's name in vain. I've always kept the Sabbath. I've always done what my mom and dad said did. I would love to have interviewed his mom and dad, by the way. Did Paul ever disobey you, you know? They probably would have had a little bit of a different picture, but he thought he was good to go. But he knew that last one dealt with desire. It was not an external thing. It was something in the heart. It's kind of like the, if you've ever gone fishing, it's the barb on the hook. It's that last little one that kind of gets you and grabs you. And Paul says, that one got me. He said, I once was alive. I was living it up. But when that came, I realized my sin. And as we know, sin brings death. I died. In verse 10, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. In other words, that's the stuff that I thought life was made of. I thought that's what was going to make me happy. I thought that's what was going to produce that I'm living for God. And actually, it did the opposite. I died. I realized that I was a mess. It messed me up. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, it killed me. So the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The second thing you need to realize is, if you're really going to come to terms with the real you, and folks, make no mistake, today it's talked about mental health. I need my mental health taken care of. If you don't get these truths, your mental health will never be well taken care of. You'll never feel quite right and never get to the point where you understand what's going on in the world. And moms and dads, you especially have to help your kids come to some of these realities that we're talking about. But you, we have to come to terms with God and His law. 
that it is good. You see, part of us going on this world, as we look around this world and think, this world is all messed up, it's a problem. Well, God must not be good, and these laws are wrong. I've got to be able to do what I want to do. And we put the blame on everything out there, and we put it on God. God, why are you doing this? You're not a good God. And truth of the matter is, is we're not coming to terms with the real us. Coming to terms with the real us means we come to terms with the goodness of God and His law. I've had some people in the past that have said, well, you know, when God told Eve or Adam and Eve, hey, eat of any tree you want. This is an awesome garden. But by the way, don't eat of that one. And they said, that's kind of like God setting them for failure. Like, what kid do you go? And it's like, well, you can go play with every toy, but don't go play with that toy. You don't want to play with that toy. Don't, don't play with that toy right there. Like you're setting them up for failure, for fall, you know, tempting them kind of thing. Isn't it? I mean, if you did that with your kids, with most of your kids, that'd be the thing I'd go for. Ooh, what's in there? Go to any room that you want in this house, but don't you dare go into that room. Oh, why? What's in that room? I want to go see what's in that room. You know, there's a sinfulness that wakens in all of that. But God's not bad because He made laws. He's a good God. Think about it this way. If you go to pull up, at a, to, you're going to a concert or some restaurant or some place that's packed and busy, and you see a no parking sign, and not just a no parking sign, but a tow away. You park here, you're not going to just get a ticket, you're going to get towed. In other words, it's going to be a bad night. You're going to have to like go find your car, you're going to have to pay a fine, it's bad. Do not park here. Is the person that puts the no parking sign in the, the tow away zone a bad person because they're just telling you reality? No, they're not tempting you to do something. They're just saying, hey, don't. This is wrong. Don't do this. It is not right. And what God has done is He has posted lots of no parking zones, no parking signs all in our life, all around us to say, this is bad. Dishonor your mother and father, bad. He's not tempting us to do wrong. He's just telling us actually out of the graciousness of His heart that, that, that we should be aware of what this is wrong. You see, ultimately, no uh, ignorance of the law is never an excuse. But God is gracious enough to even give us awareness. A number of years ago, my family and I went to uh, Ottawa in the wintertime. We lived about an hour and a half south of Canada's capital. Okay, So it was there, Washington, D.C. In the wintertime, they have a winter carnival like for a month. I think it's like the month of February, like three or four weeks. And uh, it's, it's called Winterloo. It's fantastic. You, they take front-end loaders and they build humongous slides like three stories tall and you can just you don't need a sled you just you know it's just amazing ice castles you skate along the canal and frankly my favorite part was the the beat they call beaver tails it's fried dough you know you skate along you get some hot chocolate it was just as fun we took the kids there when I got back I gave me a souvenir I got a souvenir in the mail you know what it was parking ticket like seriously like like that's not even fair I mean it was French and English but I mean like like, I thought, what are they going to do? They're not going to extradite me to Canada to pay a parking ticket. Well, maybe I don't, you know, I don't want if they're going to check me. So I paid the stupid parking ticket. But I'm like, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to park there. You guys never said. And if you were from Canada, you probably had it figured out or from Ottawa, that kind of thing. But with God, we, and even with all of our laws, there's, it, there's no excuse to not knowing what the law is. So God made the law good to tell us when we're bad, to tell us what not to do. He didn't do it to ruin our life or to, to make to be some like, well, I just want to put the screws to those people down there and take all the fun out of it, you know. That's the way we treat laws. 
We want to legalize all kinds of things so we can go hoo-hoo and party and have fun. And God's like, yeah, no, I'm the standard of goodness, of holiness, of what is right and good. And when you cross those lines, you've done wrong. You see, if we accept this principle, this is important. If you accept this principle, then the punishment that God brings to all people based on our sin becomes easy. Some people struggle with the goodness of God. Well, if God's good, how could hell be a real place and exist? The real issue is, is not, is God a good God? The real issue is that people don't understand how sinful and how wrong our sins really are. You see, God is a good God. And He told Adam and Eve, the day you eat of it, you eat the tree of the knowledge of fruit and evil, and you will die. God in heaven would have been absolutely perfectly right and just for the first time that you consciously committed your sin, whether you were four years old or 14 years old, somewhere in that span, most of us become aware of right and wrong, somewhere in there. And God would have been perfectly right to have taken your life and said, that's it. You're done. But He didn't. Because He's a gracious God who's giving you and the whole world around you an opportunity to see your sin and to turn to Him so that you might have the, uh, the opportunity to be freed from your sin. You see, that's why in this world that God has allowed sin and evil to go on because God says, all of you are messed up, but I still love you. I want to give you an opportunity to be saved. I'm going to give you an opportunity. That's why, that's why in the Old Testament, sometimes it can be a little hard. Well, if God's a good God, why did all of these people get put to death? Why did He tell the Jews to go kill all these people? Because God was right to kill all of us. And ultimately, it's people just receiving the judgment that they deserve from God in heaven. God is in this rescue mission saying, I'm going to save some of you. So you and I coming to terms with who we are on the inside is that God in heaven is good and He made these laws good because He's trying to wake us up. He's trying to put a spotlight on what's right and what's wrong so that we can know Him. And He's trying to bring a change into our life and to free us from the tyranny of sin and death so that we can have a life and live a life with Him and for Him. Third thing, if you're going to come to terms with yourself, is not only do we come to terms with God's goodness and His law being good, but we have to come to terms with the depth of our sin. Now look, listen to what this says. Paul said, did that which is good, in other words, the law, then bring death to me? Was the law the problem? That's why I got punished. If there's no law, I don't get punished. He says, by no means. It was sin that produced death in me. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. When we sin, we earn death. The rules don't produce that. That's what a lot of, it's kind of common in the world today. Like, you, got, you don't understand, officer, I didn't do anything really that wrong. Like, there's a mistake. And really, half the time, what people are saying is like, well, I know that was the law, but it shouldn't be a law. Like, I'm not that bad of a person. I shouldn't be in trouble. The law is just saying like, no, you really are. You, you really did mess up. It really is on you. And Paul says, no, the problem is my sin. It produced in me death through that which is good, the law, in order that sin might be shown to be sin. In other words, bad could really be bad. Wrong could be wrong. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond 
measure. For we know that the law is sinful, or spiritual, excuse me, the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but that sin dwells within me. I'm going to pause there. You see, what Paul is saying is, guys, God put all these laws in this world to show us the depth of our sin. And he said, our, he says, my sin is immeasurable. It's so much, I can't quantify it. I can't put a number to it. I can't get my mind wrapped around it. You see, this is crazy because this is coming from the guy that was obsessed with being perfect, obeying God at every little thing in his life. And he lived under so many spiritual and religious rules, he makes all of us look like we're mass murderers. <laughs> we would say in the world today, we're all just, just awful, hideous people. He lived such a good life. And what he's saying is, is, I realized when I really looked into the law of God how bad I really am. Now here's the challenging part. When you and I get closer to God, we get closer to our real self. And the closer we get to our real self, there is a revealing of how simple and messed up our real self is. You see, if you look back and you step back and say, well, I'm really a good person. I really haven't done that much wrong. You're actually really out of touch. You're really out of touch with who you are, and you're really out of touch with who God is. Because God is a holy God. He is separate. He is apart from every little thing that we could imagine. And our sins are measured in microns, not in inches, not in feet, not in yards, not in miles. They're in little microns, little micro-minute things, and they're immeasurable. Try to help us wrestle with that concept of something that can't be measured. It's tough to do in our day and age of technology. So I thought, you know, how much water's in the ocean? Surely nobody knows that. I don't know that anybody's ever kind of one gallon two gallons, you know. At least nobody's tried it to be sane, right? You would lose your mind after just, you know, a few hours of that. But there are supposedly 321 cubic miles of water. Unbelievable. A cubic water is, you know, a mile wide, a mile long, and a mile high. And there's 321 of those. There is, that, that equals out to be 350 quintillion gallons, not million, not billion, not trillion, quadrillion, but quintillion. 3.5 with 19 zeros after it. Our brains can't fathom that. I struggle to get anything past a million. I think I can picture that to a degree. I've never had a million, but I can kind of get a concept of half a million, a quarter million, and, and those kinds of things. You know, unfortunately, houses are kind of getting more and more expensive. Like We have a concept of kind of what that's like. But you get much past a million, a billion, that's off the chart. You and I can't truly perceive of that. But yet there's still a measurement there we can come to. The sin in each of our lives 
is like that amount of water in the ocean. It really is. It's hard to accept. It's hard to come to terms with. And it's hard to realize. And here's the thing. Most people, when they start running into knowing that they should be a good person, that they've done wrong, they, they bump into that law and they do one of two things. They either start going to God saying, I am in deep doo-doo. That's an okay word. <laughs> I am in deep trouble. I need God's help. Or they look at it and say, yeah, that's too much. I'm walking away from that. I can't handle it. You know, we have cats in our house this morning. One of the cats was eating and was kind of doing one of these things. Oh, oh, and I'm standing there and they're like, oh, the cat's throwing up. Take care of it. I'm just like, yep, yeah, can't cope. I'm walking away. I'm a good husband when it comes to those things. I don't do domestic messes. I'll cut up deer and fish or whatever outside and do all kinds of stuff. But, oh, yeah, that's inside. That's not my area. I just, oh, can't handle it. We do that with sin. We do that with our own sin. We walk away because it's too much for us. We throw the circuit breaker. It's too much surge of just our badness, and we can't possibly see ourselves in that light. And so we cover it over, and we just act like it's not there. But that is so dangerous. That's like having stage four or five cancer and, and being absolutely terminal and acting like nothing's wrong. And that's why Paul's like, yeah, I was living good. Everything was fine. But he saw where he was wrong. Instead of running away, he ran to God. I want to challenge you. If that describes you this morning, that you struggle to accept that, yeah, there's a real gut check and a real challenge in there, and it will mess you up when you start realizing the, where you are inside. But you can't dare run away. You can't get away from this. This is not getting a parking ticket in another country. You can say, well, I'm just fine. I won't go to Canada anymore. No big deal. Just write them off. This is the God of heaven who sees everything and you are under His thumb and under His world and you are not getting away with it. And your solution needs to be to run to God and say, God, help me to understand this. As crazy as this is, somewhere in that pathway as you discover your sin, you realize how beautiful and wonderful Jesus really is because He died on the cross to cover all of that. And then your life is no longer about all the stuff you can get and what you can accomplish in this world and all the things we can have, the covetousness. It simply becomes, God, thank you for giving me your son. And everything else, really, at the end of the day, doesn't matter in comparison to that. Because you've come to terms with the real you. And our life as followers of Jesus, in some ways, is always a, still a spiral into the depths of that sin. I don't say that to discourage you, because actually as you go deeper into your sin, you also go deeper into the grace of God. Jesus becomes more and more sweeter. You become more and more aware of how much He's forgiven you, and how more, more and more how secure you are in His hands. And more and more, how much the, wow, if I really did that, and he still knew that and died for me, wow. See, that's the point of what Paul is telling us about. It's not for you and I to just you know wallow in this, to leave us in, the, <clears throat> in this mess, but it's to realize that he saves us and he pulls us out of it. So coming to terms with who you really are, you really are messed up on the inside, 
But the only way to get yourself kind of squared away is to realize that God did make you for something different, a different life. And He made you to know Him and to follow Him and to forgive you and to change you. Well, fourth thing, and I'm done quickly. Let me read this. So we'll pick back up in uh, around verse 19. Paul is struggling with himself. He says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. He's like, oh my goodness. I want to do what's right, but the stuff I keep doing is wrong. Why am I doing this? You've done that. You've wrestled with that if you're being honest with yourself. I have. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. You've seen the old, you know, devil on one side and the angel on the other, you know, kind of this thing going on. It's really the picture where that comes from. It's like, I want to do right, but man, evil is right there. Door number two is always right there. And I, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That's what I get excited and find joy over. But I see in my members, in other words, my body, the other things about me, my mind and my hands want to go where they shouldn't and my feet want to go and my mouth really wants to go and say, but I find in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Here's the answer. He's gone and hit bottom. I'm a sinner, and even though I know Jesus now, I still find that I don't want to do wrong, and it still grabs me, and I can't get it under control. Who is going to help me? Who can do it? And he gives us the answer. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Coming to terms with who the real you, when you know Jesus, means you come to terms with the two natures inside of you. That there will always be a war for followers of Jesus. Once you know the God of heaven and the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and He's broken that law of sin and death, before that, yeah, you kind of don't want to do wrong all the time. You kind of want to pick and choose. But you really can't, not as if you're being really honest with yourself. But once you surrender your life to Jesus in faith, the God, the heaven puts the Holy Spirit inside of you, and there is a new pathway in your life. And God doesn't eradicate sin in your life. He doesn't just remove it. He doesn't come and sanitize it and spray it down with Lysol and pour all the bleach or all the what's the eco-friendly, citrus, whatever, that you know, whatever. He doesn't come in and do like all of, we're going to sanitize your everything in your life. He's in a long haul, long-term project changing you, but you are still a sinner before God. And so you being able to get up in the morning and not be depressed about your life or what you're challenged by or your mistakes You've got to dive into your sin and recognize the sinfulness of it and go to the bottom just like Paul does. Like, I am just a wretch. I am so messed up. What hope do I have? And the circuit breaker you pop is not running away from God, but to say, God, I recognize how awful that is. Forgive me because I don't want to do that anymore. 
And I thank you for Jesus who saved me and delivered me from that. There is a tension, a healthy tension in the side of every healthy follower of Jesus that says, I'm forgiven and still responsible to live before God. The grace of God has forgiven me for all of that. No more guilt, no more shame. All of it is removed. The power of Jesus Christ and His blood on the cross puts me in a new place. But I'm still living my life in this world and I'm still tainted by sin and my body has not been totally cleansed and changed. My soul and my spirit, God, has changed me brand new on the inside. But sometimes these things do get the best of me. That's normal. You're not messed up. You're not weird. You're not battling anything other than just the reality that you are a work in progress of the grace of God in your life. And with that, removes any excuses. We never have an excuse to sin. Oh, well, God's going to forgive me. He's forgiving me. Oh, I didn't really do that. That's just my, my, my fingers did all that. That's not really me. Well, no, your fingers are attached to you. But it also means at the same time when we've taken that seriously and we take it more and more seriously as followers of Jesus, that we rest in that grace that the God of heaven has accepted us and we are His child, and we are forgiven forever of all of that. That's what Romans 8 is all talking about. So Paul has kind of built us up to that point. We're going to unpack it next next couple of weeks. But we're a child of His. Folks, as followers of Jesus, we ought to be more in tune with ourselves than anybody else in this world. That doesn't mean that we're always going to be 100% comfortable with what's going on. I'm shocked sometimes at my sin. Like, seriously? Yeah, because that 350 quintillion whatever gallons of sin is still running around inside of me. And God's changed me, and I'm not nearly what I used to be. And He's more and more making me what He should be. And if anything, when we know Jesus, it makes us more sensitive to that. But it makes the sweetness of what Jesus does even more. Our nature, until we know Jesus is to dismiss all the bad we've done. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't me. Somebody else did it. It wasn't me. I'm not a bad person. That's the opposite for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you ought to run toward it because in the middle of that, you discover even more how much Jesus forgives you and loves you and He becomes sweeter and sweeter. And in the process, and I don't know how this works, more and more you want to follow Him. And more and more He changes you to where you grow in that grace. So bottom line for what that means for those of you who do know Jesus, you need Jesus just as much today as you did yesterday. And you need Him just as much today as you did the day before you really first surrendered your life to Him. That we desperately need the grace of God in our life. And the exciting thing is, it really I'd encourage you, is coming to terms with our future failures. That's what this is all about. We're all going to fail. But in the middle of that failure, God's grace is already there. And that's what we should be excited about. There's a lot of things in this world that I would never have attempted had I realized that I was just going to fail. And I was going to fail over and over and over and over again. Life's not very exciting that way. We are all going to fail. We're all going to fail in our sin tomorrow, today, tomorrow, the next day, and the next day. But the grace of God 
has changed us and saved us and forgiven us. And He makes that where we can hold our head up, deal with that sin, trust Him, and walk forward in that. So I don't know where you are this morning in your relationship with Christ. Some of you probably need right on the cusp and need to take that step of faith and surrendering yourself to Jesus. Say, Lord, I get it. Some of you need to stop trying to solve the sins in your heart. You can't ever fix them. Some of you are trying to work that all out and you need to just simply rest and say, I trust you, Jesus, who died for me. And some of us, after we know Jesus, we still wrestle with that and we get down on ourselves and we beat ourselves up. And we talk about forgiving ourselves. And to be honest with you, the Bible never once tells us to forgive ourselves. It's really not a thing. The culture around us tells us it's a thing, but it's not a thing. You see, because what trying to forgive yourself is, is you trying to not need Jesus. Think about it this way. We have, Susan and I have a mortgage. Right now I couldn't off the top of my head tell you which bank holds our mortgage. But let's say that we weren't able to make our mortgage payments and I went into a bank, um, I don't know, Key Bank or whatever, any of the ones around here, and it's like, hey, uh, we need to find some forgiveness. We're late in our mortgage and, well, what's your name, sir, and all of that. And, well, we don't have a record of you. Well, well, that's okay. Can you just still forgive my mortgage? Well, sir, how can we forgive you? You don't owe us anything. You see, our sin is not a problem for us. It's a problem with God. God holds our mortgage. We don't need to forgive ourselves. We need God to forgive us. And what we really need is to recognize the real us, is we need to see ourselves the way God sees us. That God has forgiven us through Jesus Christ, and we don't need to forgive ourselves. We don't need to try to to make up for our sin. We rest after we've done wrong. We, we repent and we own it. We see the egregiousness of it and we grieve. But there's nothing for us to do to make up for it. We simply rest in the grace that God gave us. So if you're kind of that person who's like, well, I just need to forgive myself. No, you don't. You're actually framing the whole conversation wrong. You actually are trying to earn your salvation and your grace and not resting God's. Instead, Recognize that God is the only one that you owe anything to, and He's already paid the mortgage for you. And you are free and clear. And now go live like it. That's what He's saying in Romans 7. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank You for the Lord Jesus. Thank You for His death on the cross, the new life that we have in Him. Thank You for the grace that is greater than all of our sin. And Lord, forgive us when we even take that for granted. Forgive us when we just act like we don't have any issues. Lord, I'm grateful to be a part of a church that recognizes that we all have issues. We are all like that car repair that might be a new shiny car, but it needs to go in the shop. It needs not only an oil change, but the brakes need to get done. And just we're all a work in progress. So Lord, help us to have that grace to live that out and to be real with one another, and to live in the grace that you provide. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.